my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of HR Sound Off. Today, I am very honored to have in the sound booth with me Dr. Cassidy Jones Johnson. And we are going to be talking about the importance of the role as the chief HR officer of an organization, what that entails, how you can lead your purpose as a chief HR officer. If you're not, how to integrate or have the conversations to integrate that role into your organization. So, welcome to the how are you today? Not too bad at all, Julie. And how are you doing there in Barbados? I am doing good, thank you. So let's get started. Um, can you tell us your HR origin story? How did you get here and where are you now? Okay, well, um, I won't tell you how many decades ago, but um, my HR story began in the UK, where I was actually a banker by profession at Citibank in London. And when I was promoted to assistant manager for relations management for corporate accounts, I was given a number of people to report to me. And they were from different nationalities. And so that was very challenging because you didn't have many people looking like me in a management position like that. So it was a challenge, but I also saw it as an opportunity to win people over. And I actually did that at a very young age with persons from Pakistan, um, Anglo-English people, um, and other parts of the world. And it made me very happy about the fact that I was able to win people over. I helped to develop their career pathing. And I've created this level of passion that made me wonder, okay, how can I use the people development interest that I have in the real world, being a young person at that time. So I went to HR at my company and they said to me that the best thing to do to transition into HR is to continue to work with a bank and then transfer to the HR department. So when I came to live in Jamaica, that's exactly what I did. I applied to a bank, but applied to work in HR because by that time I had acquired my master's degree in human resource development. And that's how my journey began. Okay. Yes. Fast forward. Fast forward to today, I have been in the corporate world um, over 25 years. And two years ago, I decided to step out of the corporate world and be more of a consultant to corporate entities, which I'm doing now right. as, as I sit on a few boards. Um, that give me the opportunity to lead the management team as it relates to the strategic HR element of their businesses. And um, that's been working out exceedingly well. And I actually enjoy being my own boss. Awesome. I'm sure you do. We're going to talk a, bit, a little bit more about that further down. 
But I wanted to touch on your, as you talked about your RD story and how you got into HR. You know, you spent a lot of your your time also as chief HR officer for Grace Kennedy. That's correct. So just wanted to um, talk a little bit about that in terms of what did your role entail at that time as you grew into that role? Okay, well, uh, my last role was for the entire group. So Grace Kennedy um, exists in over 40 um, operations across the world. And so my responsibility was to oversee the strategic HR journey of the entire group. So I had um, a second tier level of HR heads reporting into me, um, similar to what you would probably be late to as vice president, assistant vice president, that type of level reporting into me. Right. Um, that was for seven years. Prior to that, I was the chief HR officer for just one division. Because Grace, Grace has two divisions, foods and financial services. So I was just for foods initially. And then I was promoted to, to oversee the entire group. My major role at the group level entailed getting involved in mergers and acquisitions due diligence, because as you know, Grace has actually acquired a number of companies, not just in Jamaica, but also outside of Jamaica. So I had the privilege of being a part of M&As in the Caribbean, um, in the UK, in the USA, and in Africa. And along with that, of course, building up a strategic roadmap for that, including human resource information systems, because Grace Kennedy traditionally was known to be very manual and gut feel. Yeah. And, um, I was proud to leave there having introduced HR technology to ensure that data um, was provided as we were making decisions about people. Um, we looked at the HR operating model to make sure we had like a center of excellence for specialists, and then we would have um, a central area where the transactional work took place, and then we would have an, a segment that would focus on strategies so that we ensure that we weren't all about personal and administration. Right. We moved up to the HR maturity level of being a strategic HR business partner. Mm -hmm. How did right. you find that part? It was hard, I'm not going to lie to you, yeah. but I had heavily on um, key performance indicators to show where we were before and where we wanted to go after. So for example, in HR, you have what we call the HR maturity um, levels and they're normally about four or five. Right. So of course, once upon a time, it used to be just personnel, yeah. um, the basics, and then you actually move into um, compliance. So all you're doing is making sure that performance appraisals are done and people get paid, etc. And then you move into what is known as the employee advocate, mm -hmm. third tier, and then the fourth tier speaks to a change agent, and then finally the HR business partner. So essentially, you're supposed to be on that entire trajectory, but not with the emphasis on admin, but more so on the HR business partner level. And that's what we um, aspire to do, and we use that trajectory to ensure that we were stepping to the next level year over year. So you said it wasn't hard. It was hard. Um, what were some of the most difficult challenges for you as you developed in that role? Getting the buy-in from executives and senior management. 
um, mostly they would say, why are we spending so much money on HR? Okay, why do we need an HR information system? Can't we do it the way we are doing it? Especially when you have what we call legacy. Yeah. And legacy executives who are accustomed to the past. So it's very difficult for them to make a cultural paradigm shift about digitizing HR and HR not being there for, to clean up and mop up after them, which happened a lot. Yeah. You know, our, our managers tended to say, uh, we're having a problem, you need to go to HR. No, we actually enabled and coached our managers to handle certain things themselves so that we could focus more on strategy. And they, that was where they could not make that paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Um, with infusing um, newer management um, from a different generation, we were able to see that shift taking place over a few years. Yeah, and I could only imagine. You said so many things there that I've heard so many people say, which is, you know, this is the way we've always done it. Why do we need to change? And management struggles with that, especially from the HR perspective, in the sense that they always feel that um, there's no need to make these changes, especially as it relates to HR. But in order for us to be the partner that they need, we have to develop and grow and evolve too. So um, once they've recognized that and we get that buy-in, then we're able to make the necessary shifts. But I'm glad that you mentioned that it you had your challenges because sometimes, you know, you talk to people and they say, oh, this is the role that I hold, but they don't tell you about the struggles that they had in between. So let me and ask I appreciate you asking me that, Julie, because it's important yeah. to share challenges so that people don't think it's really a walk in the park. It's not. Exactly. exactly. I was, so let me ask you this. What kept you up at night? Convincing. Um, the board, CEO, and senior management of the need to transition. Um, I would find myself waking up and rehearsing for a board meeting. Really? I would find myself in the mirror practicing <laughs> <laughs> my opening remarks, almost like being in court, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and making sure that I land my conclusion um, and would have shown the data. Um, as it relates to the benchmarking and where the rest of the world is in comparison to where this company is and where we need to go. I found myself making sure that I was a strong advocate and marketer for the HR function. Yeah, that is amazing. I could only imagine you um, <laughs> standing in the mirror trying to um, present your case. Um, but that's very interesting. Also very important to me, so thank you for sharing that with us. So let me ask you this. I really want to know from you what advice you have for HR professionals who are having the same struggles that you would have experienced as they're looking to develop and grow in their role. What advice would you give HR professionals who are looking to develop into that business partner role? One of the things is to do a self-assessment. Because a lot of times, although we may be in a senior position in HR, there are still gaps and we have to own those gaps and ensure that we close those gaps. So I may have shared with you before, Julie, um, that there were certain things that I wasn't good at. Finance, I would hate numbers. Um, And so if you are going to go into into a boardroom to convince the board about something, you have to be comfortable with financials to show the ROI 
and the return on well the return on investment the the expense to sales ratio you have to be comfortable with the analysis mm-hmm. and benefit analysis of what you're doing so what are your gaps and how can you close them and how long will it take for you to close those gaps confidence of course comes with that because when you have that poise presence and polish to convince that it even goes smoother than that you don't another thing too is to really immerse yourself into the business so that you can you are relatable when you are making that conviction no point going in there just doing about the HR function. This is what you want to, to get out of this presentation or this meeting. But you have to relate that to the business. Mm-hmm. So cite examples that you can use in your, in your conviction that relates to the business. Whether you're in the digital media world or whether you're in manufacturing, whether you're in um, a financial institution, what are the things that you can relate to? And finally, I would say, that um, you should also spend some time, and I think I mentioned this to you before, spend some time in the business. That's the best. Don't get information from a department and then put the paperwork together. Spend the time in the business before you actually go as an advocate for the transition. Yeah. I I had a a previous guest who um, mentioned about learning the business of the business. How does the business make money? How does the business lose money? How does the business put its strategy together? And so you kind of married that in with your explanation as well. And I really appreciate that you broke it down in such a condensed way that we could really appreciate that it is a process to develop and grow in this role. And how we go about it is very important. What's your biggest fear? You mean generally? As an HR professional, what is your what was your biggest fear? My biggest fear was recruiting someone who did not make the mark. Mm-hmm. Because um, <laughs> it's back to you as HR, right? Yeah. Um, that person so, HR hired and gave a yes. kind of reminds you of Adam and Eve when Adam told yeah. that woman you gave me. Yeah. So every time, um, for me at the end, I, I'm more focused on this executive levels, but I know that my direct reports also went through that process as well and said, oh my gosh, I really hope they pass probation and I hope they this and I hope they deliver on that. Um, it was that fear of, oh, if this person doesn't work out, it looks bad on HR. Mm-hmm. I was extra careful with my due diligence, extra careful with my background checks, extra careful with my networking. Um, I wouldn't take it at face value because you've passed an interview that you are good at what you do. So we went as far as introducing um, simulations, almost like being a pilot and you, before you actually go out there, you you do simulations. We would simulations in the respective functions Uh to our recruitment process to see how they would handle things on their feet. Right. That sounds really good. And I think that that's um, very important when we recognize that a lot of times as we go to recruit and bring talent into the organization, it's reputational upon us. It's also reputational upon the hiring manager who sits in the interview process with us. But we hold a higher stake in it because people believe what we say. 
yeah. we sell people on our dream and we also sell people on the organization at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that I agree with you, like that's one of the biggest things that keeps me up at night. Um, when I think about from the reverse, what if the person doesn't like it? What if the person comes back and they go, you sold me on this and now I don't want to be here? Like, Because <laughs> you are a marketer. We yeah. are a Exactly. Exactly. And I think that that's one of the things that um, leadership especially doesn't, I find they don't really appreciate. You wear many hats and marketing is one of them. Because as yeah. you are recruiting, you are selling people on an organization, the culture, the benefit, everything. You're selling them on that. And people listen to you and they make that decision based on conversations they've had with you as well as the interview process and what they read on social media. So it really is hinging on us as professionals to, to try to get that as right as we can. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. Let me ask you this. What are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you think other HR professionals would benefit from? You know, you're not going to believe this, but people believe that because I have a PhD, I spend my time reading books all the time. Uh Um, I attained my PhD in 2007. And I made a promise that I would cut down on reading books. Okay. And funny enough, um, mm-hmm. my consolatory presents were mostly books. Can you believe oh, wow. that? I guess that's the point. I don't know what else to give you. But should I get yes, because she loves reading. <laughs> so, so to tell you the truth, Julie, since 2007, I have not really read books uh-huh. for reasons. Okay. Uh, I read for HR reasons are the following. Mm-hmm. Harvard Business Review, okay. Forbes, McKinsey. Um, I follow a few companies by case studies, so Apple, Netflix, um, the more up and coming and, and, and quick moving, agile, using your word, yeah. agile companies. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at HR, we too often look through the lens of an HR practitioner. We need to learn to look through the lens, and I think I said this to you in a, in a previous forum, mm-hmm. to look through the lens of the CEO, yeah. right? And the CEO not be reading our HR magazines from CIPD and SHRM. They're reading the magazines of the Harvard Business Reviews, etc., yeah. because they're looking for light companies and best practices in the business. Mm-hmm. So we do that. What I pull away from when I read the articles are what are the HR implications of this company you now making an acquisition in X country? What are the cultural nuances? That's where my headspace goes. And then I start making my notes. So I don't get my ideation from, from HR magazines. What I get from HR magazines are more like legislative um, things that are coming out and that are new that we need to be careful about and how does that impact a particular country, etc. But what I get from the business magazine are what keeps CEOs up at night. Yes. And that's very important. And you just made a very interesting and necessary link that I wanted to touch on in terms of that relationship with HR and CEO, you having a relationship where you understand where you're coming from. And you just mentioned about reading the things that you're 
we always reading? Um, what are some of the other things that we should be doing to build that relationship with our CEO? You need to become the CEO's advisor. You know, over the years, you see finance sitting beside the CEO. Even when you go to um, um, the uh, what we call the board annual general meetings that they have, right beside the CEO is the corporate secretary and the CFO. You have never seen an HR, a chief HR person sitting at that table. Mm -hmm. Assume that the, the questions that will be coming from the shareholders have to do with the numbers, right? Yeah. A lot of AGMs now are seeing where people are asking about the people. Shareholders want to know about the executives and the skill sets. Yeah. And what are we paying? Why do we, are we paying? Why does the pool of salaries for the executive team look so much? What type of skills are they coming with? And we ought to be at that AGM team. Yeah. So um, it's really convincing your CEO about the need to see the CFO function and this corporate secretary along with the, the CHRO function. Yeah. And you have to come with data. And that's why HR systems are so important. Mm -hmm. You have to come with case studies that you have read from a business perspective to say, did you know that Apple is doing X, Y, and Z, and they're now recruiting people from high school as opposed to university because they, they, because they see where um, there may not be the need to have tertiary education anymore. Are you giving your CEO um, those types of stories where you could also be impressing your CEO that you're actually reading? Yeah. And it's about just the HR function. And I, I love that because um, it really expresses upon us the importance of being um, ahead of the time, but also understanding the current time that we're in and the climate that we're in. You know, Julie, you asked me what, what do I listen to or what do I watch? Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I seem to be addicted to the U.S. elections and what's happening now. Okay. But... In, in looking at the U.S. elections, I asked myself a couple of questions. Leadership in the, in, in the midst of a crisis, what does that look like? Yeah. And I put up the, the, the president at the moment as what are his leadership capabilities, what's his emotional intelligence looking like? Yeah. Versus, say, an Oprah Winfrey. Um, what does she look like? So I, I looked at people who are out there who we know about by the snap of a finger to look at their leadership capabilities and how could that affect a company. What is happening in the U.S. now could easily happen in any organization, right? And how can we make the cross-referencing to our company? So I'm studying the elections for a number of reasons, which includes yeah. the implications on HR, those four people that the president-elect has to recruit yeah. by a particular time. Mm -hmm. yeah. It, yeah, and I think that that's very uh, important. I'd be interested to learn and actually have a separate conversation on what you're finding are, as it relates to how we develop and grow as HR professionals and what are some of the things that we should be looking at. Um, and I say that only because we also live in the Caribbean, in a space where we have a lot of businesses that come from the US and Canada, all over the world. 
to reside in our countries and, and conduct business and understanding the cultural context around that um, is very important. So I believe that what you are gleaning from the US election is going to have some input on how we as HR um, understand those cultures and what people are feeling and, and thinking and going through right now um, as they continue to live and work in the Caribbean. Yes, agreed. Absolutely, yeah. The other thing too, um, from a resilience agility perspective, I also think that that's a, a good thing for us to look at because um, resilience agility speaks to how you handle a crisis as a leader and what competencies and skills are required for you to support the emotional intelligence team, number one, being very key. Um, and one of the people that I watched a lot, um, especially during COVID, was Michelle Obama. And how she in particular responded to the COVID crisis, working with her team, dealing with um, her social media presence and so on. And, and I found that very resilient in, in, in this time of crisis. But that whole situation plays on the fact that there you see a leader who is not resilient during this time of crisis, which is Absolutely. very concerning. Yeah. Very, yeah. Definitely. So let me ask you the hard question. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to HR, what is the biggest misconception you believe people have about our profession that you would like to set the record straight on right here, right now? That it's touchy feely. And uh, the reason why I say that is because I see too many times where Persons who are appointed in HR are coming from a function of administration. So there is this perception that, oh, um, Julie, who's the secretary for that department, we'll just promote her to HR manager and we'll be fine. It's actually a profession. It's a profession that requires um, background, knowledge, and experience, certification. It requires to be at the table. It's not a touchy feeling role. It has data. And I hope that the, the pandemic um, in 2020 and seemingly beyond, because it's not going to go by next month, will, will show CEOs and, and, and um, other executives that it's not a touchy feeling. You have to be looking at agility, going back to your, to your concept, um, where work practices have to change. So a secretary who was done admin would not have that background and experience of what flexible resources look like and flexible workplaces um, and the different types of um, number one, atypical um, recruitment, whether it's through freelancing. Those are the types of things that you want your HR to be looking at. And that's not a touchy-feely role. No. As search data, bringing it to the table and saying, here's the best practice. Here's what's happening in these territories. I'd recommend that we do a pilot to see how this works for us. And then we can move forward. Yeah. And that in itself is agile in a nutshell. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your experiences, um, your time, your energy. I really do appreciate it. Now, you yeah, mentioned 
and you are a consultant now. So you've taken that experience now and you're expanding all of your energy and experience that you've gained and you're putting it into other organizations. Um, as a consultant, what is your specialty? What is the name of your business? Well, um, the name of my business is still work in progress. I just had a marketing firm um, build out my logo and the name. Um, the name is Next Level, but it's not spelled Next Level. Um, it's spelled differently um, so that it's more visually um, appealing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm operating independently, and my specialization is in um, organizational transformation, um, which is happening now with COVID. And so I, I'm spending a lot of time with organizations that are looking to retool and revamp their working practices, um, revisit restructuring, et cetera. Um, I'm strong in leadership and coaching um, because I've built out a lot of leadership programs for, for corporate entities and even for Grace Kennedy, and I'm very proud of that. So yeah. I am sharing that type of template with other companies as well. Right. Performance management is a strong area for me, and it's not about performance appraisals. Right where a lot of people um, go wrong. It's looking at your strategy, building it out from there, looking at your KPIs from your strategy, etc. So I specialize in that right now. Okay, wonderful. And so where can people find you on social media if they want to engage and learn from you or engage in your services? Where can they find you? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not like you. I'm not as agile as you with all these different social media. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, Julie. <laughs> You're on the best platform that you could possibly be on right now. So that's fine. I actually I've gotten business from, from LinkedIn. Please could you tell the people the importance of your LinkedIn profile as a consultant? Well, you, you really have to sell yourself and I, I learned that the bad way because I just had something there with no photo, nothing, and I would get slapped on the wrist that you need to build up your profile. It's important to show your accomplishments, um, where you are now. Um, if you sit on any boards, it's important to show that as well, because I believe that because I sit on boards, a lot of CEOs have reached out to me because they want to prepare for their board meetings. Yeah. So they're asking me, okay, Cassada, what, do, what would you look like? What would you look for rather as a board member? Help me to make sure that my presentation speaks to the people and culture aspect, etc. So LinkedIn is very important. Very, very important. Thank you so much for sharing that because I'm a huge advocate for LinkedIn. And <laughs> I believe that it's important that people recognize that the, there is potential in the platform for you to either get business, um, become employed, um, you can gain CV engagements from it. All of those things I've experienced as a result of being very active on LinkedIn. So, yes, I agree 1000%. And with that, Dr. Cassidy Jones-Johnson, you have survived your time in the summer. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for I'm having me. looking forward to um, sharing the resources and this episode with our audience. Um, I'm sure that someone will be reaching out to you to ask you for advice or guidance in the near future, but I wish you all the very best. Thank you. And the same to you, Julie. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at 
I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again in the next sound off.